It is I, Hope Giselle, Hope Disguise, and I am coming at you all this week with another episode of Can We Talk podcast slash Can We Talk Live for those of you all who have my Patreon and will be able to see our beautiful faces. This week, I have one of my, I guess, I guess my, my mentors from afar, right? Um, I have many of them, and this is just one of them, and they are Alok, okay? So everybody say hey, and make sure that y'all are, are in tune, because I'm sure we're about to get a bunch of of, uh, gems dropped on us. So before we jump into the conversation, I have to ask the million dollar question, which is, can we talk, Alok? Yes, totally. So a lot of people cannot see you right now. And I like, I, I tried to do my best with my natural lip, but you are like the, 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 the lipstick person to go to. And like, you always have on a popping lip. So for those of you all who can't see them, Alok has on like this nice, red fuchsia blend of something and it's just super dope um and now that I've given you praise for that I just want to talk to you a little bit about um a lot of the work that you do I'm always so inspired by the things that you um are educating us on not just in the U.S. but like foreign affairs as well. I'm so inspired by the way that you utilize your body as a tool of activism, um, and kind of sort of are really unapologetic about it. And so, could could we get into a little bit about the things that inspire you and the things that kind of motivate you to do these things, even when the comments and the threats and all of that stuff are are, are coming your way? Sure. First, when you said million dollar question, I imagined a spinoff of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with you as the host, and I'm <laughs> so here for it. We're supposed to be having big dreams during pandemic, so I'm just putting that out into the ether. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think that for me, um, fashion and beauty have always been vehicles of political protest mm. because I wasn't able to control the like gender and sex that I was assigned and all the stereotypes that were levied at me because of it. And so I would, from a young age, before I had language to say like what I was, I would express myself creatively. And I think that there's something really beautiful about nonverbal kind of forms of communication because they really show people where they're at in their own healing journey. Mm. Like my, my appearance, can really show a lot of people where they're at in their healing journey. If you're able to sit next to me on a train and just be like, oh, cool, it's another human being, then that's like, wow, you've really done a lot of self-acceptance work. Exactly. And then if you're like, oh my gosh, moral crisis, like they have facial hair, then I'm like, this is actually more about you than me. And I think it took me a long time in my own personal journey to realize that like most of the haters are actually projecting their own self-hatred. But once I had that realization, I felt so empowered because I was like, actually, I think that one of the most beautiful things about being alive is creating. And mm -hmm. I feel like so many of us have had to suppress ourselves to make other people more comfortable. And once I started to prioritize my creativity over other people's comfort, the sky was the limit. Oh. 
And I, I think that that's amazing because I think that a large part of, of who you are, like you said, is a protest, but it's not even, it goes beyond fashion. It's about the way that you've learned to accept portions of yourself that society has deemed to be masculine or uh, deemed to be, um, I guess, representations of masculinity. And you've just flipped them on their heads and said, no, this is how, however this shows up and whatever I say it is that day is exactly what it's going to be. And mm -hmm. so it's one of those things where wearing a bikini with body hair is a thing that you do and you do it very totally. well. Wearing, you know, uh, the different tones of hair, if you feel like it that day, putting on a wig, if you feel like it that day, shaving your head, if you feel like it that day, um, are all things that are representative of, of who you are as a person, but not representative of masculinity. And I think mm -hmm. that um, even for me as a trans woman, there, there are things that I wouldn't do like at the beginning of my transition, like I, I couldn't dare walk around with like short hair or I wouldn't mm -hmm. dare leave the house without having on a full face of makeup. And now I'm just like, however my womanhood shows up is how it shows up. And I'm not going to allow these stereotypical social things to dictate whether or not I'm woman enough that day. And I think that right. that's one of the things that a lot of people, including myself, uh, look to you and kind of sort of are inspired by you on a daily basis because it's one of those things where you're constantly saying screw the status quo this is how it shows up for me and i'm allowed to exist in this way um right and so do the work on yourself if, if there's a problem with that i want right. to talk a little bit about um the ways that you incorporate foreign affairs into a lot of your messaging, although you're in the States, clearly, um, mm -hmm. and why you think it's important to make sure that folks are educated on not just what's happening on this side of the world, but what's happening in India, in Lebanon, and in, in all of these mm -hmm. places. So, so what brought that about? Sure. First, I want to respond to what you initially said and, and say thank you for, for sharing that, because I think it's so many times trans people um, don't share those stories of how even though we come into these new, not new, even though we reclaim these genders that have been stolen from us, right, even if we have to check ourselves in that language, we still find ourselves being pressured, even though we're trying to escape from that pressure. Mm. And that kind of piece of that, that second life of being like, I, I, I overcame so much to get here and I'm still going to be policed into stereotypes. Mm. That's a conversation I really wish that we had more, which is like the joy of being trans should be emancipating ourselves from other people's projections of who we should be. And we should be believed for who we say that we are the end. Mm. Um, and, and I really appreciate you saying that because, you know, when I started to identify as trans and non-binary, I similarly felt those kinds of pressures. And it just was, it was really hard because there are days where you just don't want to get harassed. You know, mm. there are days where it's like, I just don't have the energy for this. I have, I have other things to be doing, but then it's like, oh, if I don't wear a dress, then people are just going to think I'm a man. And so then I would just beat myself up where I'd be like, okay, so I either choose to get harassed or to be depressed. I don't want that. Mm. And that double bind is a false double bind because mm. the onus is always put on individual trans people to do harm reduction for other people's projections on us. Yes. When actually the responsibility should be on you to just leave us alone, you know? Like at every level, it's always on us. Facts. I, so before, because I think that, that that's something that um, I always like to flag for people, and especially when I'm doing HR trainings or whenever I'm invited to come in and do sort of sensitivity trainings for different um, corporations or organizations, it's just like, 
I want you to think about the privileges that you have as a person who identifies as cis or identifies with the gender that you were assigned at birth with not having to get up in the morning and base who you are off of the way that other people are going to respond right. to it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Think about the privileges, just being able to get out of your bed and wear whatever it is that you want to wear that day. Do your hair or not do your hair. Wear makeup or not wear makeup. Shave mm -hmm. or not shave. Right. Um, and then think about the ways in which the folks that you are working with have to get up sometimes two, three hours extra to prepare themselves to make you comfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. That is that is a part of the problem. That is a part of the thing that we have to fix. That is a part of the reason that you brought me here to help you um, figure out how to better incorporate and how to better uh, be a more inclusive space for people in this workplace. And it's always so funny to watch the people in the room as I'm training go, oh my God, I never thought about that. Right. And then also, recognize that they would have been transphobic, that they might have said something a little bit off, that they might have misgendered a person. Um, but then also to watch them realize those things and then check them in that moment is really great. And so thank you for flagging that because that's something that I think a lot of people miss is that right. as trans people, as non-binary people, there's a lot of work that we do before we even step out of the door that has so much nothing work. to do with us. That has so much work. To do and, and for me, I experienced it as really soul crushing because, mm. you know, I, I'm a very spiritual person and I've been trying now in every interview to bring that up because I really believe that trans people are magical. And I believe so much of the persecution that we experience is because of our magic. Mm. And for me, part of our magic is we're actually saying this body is the tip of the iceberg, darling. Like, I actually am a soul. And when we are out, out living our truth, we're actually exposing the world that it's lost touch with its own soul. And so they're persecuting us because we are presenting a soul. And so for me, to, what it means to be a soul and not to be a body, because that's so boring to me, like being right. a body is like the first step. What it means to be a soul is to embrace my fluidity, like is to look at nature to see how it transforms, how seasons change, how water moves. People are part of the world and the environment. We, we're in flux, we change. Mm. And that actually there's a deep beauty and resonance to change. Who I am now, now is not who I was five years ago, is not mm. who I was 10 years ago. I'm living my ancestors' wildest dreams. And so when I think about my own transformation, what I also really want for all trans and gender bring people is, is to just know that we're, we are worthy of profound becoming for the rest of our lives. Like you can change your mind and that's okay. But cis society creates so much pressure and so much surveillance, particularly on those of us who are trans feminine and trans women. Yes. It's just like wild how they're always policing our bodies, always creating these kind of hierarchies of if we're real or if we're not and what mm -hmm. we need to do. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's just gross. And so I don't blame and I don't, I, I don't mind what individual people do to survive that. But what I just really hope that we can do with one another is look at each other and say, I see you for you. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's, that's not just an act of trans acceptance, that's an action of spirituality for me. And then I think that relates to the question that you brought up before about a global sort of perspective. Mm -hmm. So there's this myth that's being peddled in the United States that trans and non-binary people especially are something new. Mm. And that's one of the biggest ways that they undermine our rights is that you read what they're saying about us and it's like, oh, this is just some millennial conspiracy that they're just snowflakes who are making up these genders, blah, blah, blah. And that was really hard for me because I didn't have access to trans history, so I didn't know that like we had been there. And so I think a lot of people do internalize those myths that 
were new. And so as I started to actually do my research and to figure out what the global history of trans people were, I was like, hey, actually, what's new is not us. What's new is dividing billions of people into one of two categories. And then actually in most indigenous societies across the world, and in most places outside of the Western world, like in India, where my people are from, there's thousands plus years history of recognition and affirmation, celebration of gender variant people. And so I started to realize like, I, it, it's actually hurting us when we're just US centric because we can learn so much from trans variant people all across the world who've been here for thousands of years and oftentimes have connections to those histories that have been erased in the US. And in the US, it was, a, as I find in my research, it was a deliberate project of erasure because what they did here is that they criminalized us out of existence. I just read a book yesterday about cross-dressing laws in San Francisco in the 19th century. And I was crying because there are police photographs of trans and gender nonconforming people who are thrown into prison for existing in public. The police would take photos of them to make fun of them and then they would sell them to the newspapers. And there'd be all these kind of fear mongering rhetorics of like, look at this man playing dress up. And then there'd be interviews in the police records and people would be saying, I'm not playing dress up, this is who I am. This is like in 1880, 1890, people knowing who they were and we're not taught that trans history. We're taught that like, this is some new idea, but the more I learn, I'm like, actually we've always been here. We've known who we were. We've had remarkable self-awareness. It's just that we had to get erased. And why do we have to get erased? I think that brings it back to the spirituality conversation. It's because of our power. What did it mean to be at the peak of the gold rush Western expansion? where you see the United States colonizing indigenous people across the Western world, and to be actually saying, my body, my choice. Mm. What that actually challenged was the authority of that entire project. And what trans and gender nonconforming people are doing is challenging the presumptive authority of so many other institutions who mm. claim to know us better than we know ourselves. No, we mm. know ourselves better than you know us. Mm. And that's really threatening and really destabilizing for a world that thinks that it knows you better than you know yourself. It's, it's really interesting, especially with, with the climate of the world that we're in right now that you say things like that, because you have, especially, and I know that you may not be a black person, but I know that uh, because of the work that we do, that you've heard some of the arguments that you've, you've, you've seen the all black lives matter and you understand why those things are important. But I always like to flag for people that what you just said is, is very reminiscent of what we try to get black cis people and sometimes even black cis people that do include LGBT folks or LGB folk um, to understand that trying to tell trans people that we are confused so that mm -hmm. it makes more sense to you as to why we exist is not okay mm -hmm. and it never will be okay mm -hmm. but also trying to create this fear around the way that black trans women are taking away from black men who should be helping the community or taking away from the strength that we should be teaching young black boys is a fear that's created by the patriarchy by mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. white 
white male privilege to make us feel less than in the first place, to make black men feel like they don't have a place in society in the first place. And so if there's less of you, or if we tell you that being this makes us respect you less when really we don't respect you as a people because of our own, you know, um, our own beliefs and our own system that's flawed. However, you know, there's nothing that you can do to make us feel anything differently, but we're going to continue to indoctrinate all of these things into your culture and into your community that make you feel like trans black women are the enemy. Um, and kind of remind you that you are less than. I want to know from the outside looking in as a person who is still a person of color and, and being able to see some of these arguments that are being made against a particular group because Black folk or Black men or Black cis people think that they understand and know Black trans people better, specifically with a, a, a gaze on Black trans women better than we know ourselves. What is, what is your take on the best way to handle this as an ally from the outside? And, and how do you show up for us when those arguments kind of present themselves in your work? Right. So I think it's so important to really speak about the specificity of violence facing Black trans women and Black trans feminine people, because it's just astronomical. You know, every week we're hearing yeah. new reported murders. And we know that that's a conservative estimate because oftentimes this is misrepresented, misgendered. Yeah. We don't even get access to folks' names. It's, it's been a state of emergency. It's been an epidemic, a crisis, a pandemic, all of it since Correct. the beginning of the United States, right? And so for me, I think it's really important to always amplify the leadership, the intelligence, the experience, the organizing, and the power mm. of Black trans men and Black trans femmes to have these conversations themselves. It's not my place to be having those conversations. What I'm resonating with what you're saying is a lot of those dynamics are similar to dynamics that I experienced from the Indian and South Asian community, where there's this misrecognition that we are just some Western import. So there's mm -hmm. always this idea of like, oh, you're only this way because of white people. And it's just, it's wild because I actually feel like for me as an Indian person, coming into my transness was actually about reconnecting with my heritage and my identity. Yes. It yes. wasn't about departing, it was actually about realigning. Yes. And then to be seen as an enemy within. So I can, it, it's very different. And, and, and I think the severity of the violence is totally different but I can empathize and, and mm. say that there's this way in which there's no pain greater than an intimate betrayal. Mm. And, and I think that that's what's so tragic and devastating about so much of anti-trans violence and anti-transness is it often is at the hands of the people who should be loving us. Yes. And that for me as an artist is I think something that I'm really trying to work through, which is like, how do you hold the, the sort of spiritual toll, the psychological toll of, of an unreciprocated love? Because I think that trans and gender non-conforming people across races and geographies love their people so yeah. much. Yeah. And that's why they're doing the work that they're doing because they love, I see that in your work. I see that in so many of our peers' work. There's a deep and fierce and resonant love of like, we are worth more than this as a people. And, and I see that for what it is. I, and, and I think I'm going to continue to always do my part. I think the first step, really, when you're asking about allyship in this way, is to be very specific to, say, Black trans women when we're talking about violence in terms of murder. Because oftentimes, the specific violence against Black trans women and people gets abstracted to the entire trans community. That's just not, not the case. I experience a lot of harassment and violence, but it's not equivalent 
to black gender nonconforming trans feminine people. And then I think the second thing is to really think about resourcing because so often with anti-violence work, people wanna just make it about the incident of hate violence, but not about the entire ecosystem that led to that. So it's like, are people housed? Do people have access to healthcare? Do people have access to stable employment? We actually need to create infrastructure so that people are not put in vulnerable situations. Mm. And that looks like not just having rhetoric, but also thinking about resources. So I think it's so important that we hold the LGBT movement accountable yes. for not having the leadership and not resourcing organizations that are working for and by Black trans women and Black trans femmes. And then I think the third step is really in our own communities that are us, especially as non-Black people of color, is really trying to challenge people to put violence against black trans feminine people as an issue that because it's often seen as just a, an issue over there and i always have to do this work to be like no if people are dying that's that's our issue too right. you know like right. we can't just make it about like oh it's over them it's a no, no no this is our issue too this is that that doesn't mean that we need to be the ones speaking about it but it does mean that we need to be the ones fighting against it and so I, I've been really heartened in the past few months to see, you know, with the action in Brooklyn and the action in LA, like yeah. there seems to be just like a, a, a paradigm shift where people are really recognizing like so much of the freedoms that we have as LGBTQ people are because of the histories of resistance of black trans women and black trans femmes like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera and Miss Major and people who laid the groundwork oh, yeah. for all of us. Mm -hmm. All of those people. I think that it's important uh, especially to me, that I, I, I hear my siblings and my brothers and my sisters say things like, we have to be intentional about saying Black trans women. Because far too often do I, as a Black trans woman, when I'm invited to some of these panels, am I the only person saying, we have to be specific, we have to be specific, we have to be specific. And it's not like, the information isn't there. It's not like people don't know. It's just that there has been this uh, long lineage of us being looped in with all of the other and, and mushed into the people of color struggle. And mm -hmm. I often tell people that I have a bit of an, a, a love-hate relationship with that term because I feel that at its core, it was coined by white people who didn't want to talk about the ways in which mm -hmm. black people were being specifically mm -hmm. affected or right. they wanted to be able to um use a term that kind of blanket statemented black issues with the issues of other people of color who were not white um right. while still pushing our issues to the bottom of that and so whenever we're speaking about these issues and whenever we're speaking on the topic of death in the in the trans femme community being able to hear and, and, and seeing it resonate from my siblings and my brothers and my sisters that Black trans women are at the forefront of that, of that mm -hmm. transgression or of those transgressions is amazing to me because it lets me know that the work that we are doing, it lets me know that um, the, the it's movement- changed the world, Hope. It, it's, like it's, it's, it's happening. It's changed the conversation. It's, it's, happening. it's really created a new standard. Um, and I, I think it, it's incredible and important and vital. And I, I also feel like, you know, the crisis of so much politics right now is people don't know how to hold the both and. It's very much either or dichotomous. Yes. And, and it's like, it's possible to say, hey, I experience harm, but then also I don't experience as much harm as other people. Like we always make it a zero sum game. Yes. And I see so many of us as non-Black people of color feeling like there's kind of like erasure and foregrounding Blackness. And it's like, absolutely not. Like, that's ridiculous that this is not erasing the kind of struggles that you went through at all. This is actually just being particular and specific. And I think that 
specificity and precision are things that we should celebrate, not fear, yeah. because they actually allow us to get at the root cause. And I think that's for me, like a lot of what I've been trying to do about bringing up the word gender nonconforming, because I think uh, a specificity that often gets lost when we have conversations around trans people is that those of us who are visibly gender nonconforming, who are navigating the public uh, in ways where people are like, is that a man or a woman? the particular kinds of violence that that occurs and solicits are deserve their own kind of attention. And that's especially the case for people who are black and gender nonconforming. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of um, compounding factors are often ignored. But I think so often people read a call for specificity as a call for erasure and they're just totally not, that's not true and we need to debunk that. And in fact, what I really believe is that when folks are saying Black trans lives matter and centering Black trans women, that's going to be a liberatory politic for all people. Mm. What I want to ask while we're on the topic of, of violence is that I've seen you take a lot of the violence and a lot of the hate that's been uh, just kind of thrown at you and make it um, almost comical. I, I love when I see your posts that are just like, I saw your comment, I see your comments, and I raise you my fabulousness in the midst of all of them. Um, what what kind of sparks that? And if, you, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, please make sure that you go to Alok's uh, Instagram page because they are like the most gorgeous pictures of them with like all of these hateful <laughs> comments like spewed around. And so like, what, 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 I think, first of all, what's the messaging behind that? Like, what do you hope uh, to kind of sort of convey with that? But then also, what was the thing that inspired you to do it? Right. So, you know, I'm just genuinely confused why these people are so pressed. Like, we literally are in the middle of an a inter international health pandemic. We have climate apocalypse. Like, there's so many things that we should be caring yes. about. And people care about me having chest hair and a dress. Like, really? Like, of all of your priorities, darling, that <laughs> You're gonna wake up today and be like, I'm gonna be spouting hatred on the internet to someone I don't even know, like really? And so I just wanna reveal how ridiculous it is. And, mm -hmm. and, and I wanna actually say, um, how could you deny this glamor? Because I think for a long time, like I have to be really honest, for a long time, I internalized it. Like I, I, I got that feedback and that destroyed me. I struggle a lot from depression and anxiety. And that really, for years, really like made me feel disassociated from my life, from my body, because I just genuinely felt like, oh my gosh, like I don't own me. Like other mm. people own me. Like mm. other people get to dictate who I am. I don't know who I am. I, it, it, and then art became part of my healing against that. And so also when I'm creating those images, they're also for me to look at and be like, I am powerful because I need those reminders. And I think that that piece of trans art making often gets lost is we're not just making this for other people, we're also making this to create an archive that we can go back to and be like, we are powerful, we are beautiful. And that's why I believe, especially in trans self-portraiture and trans imaging, because so often the images that we have of us are images that people have made of us, not that we're making of ourselves. Right. And so what I'm always trying to do in my art practice is like, here is me as my fullest, baddest self let me also remind myself what that looks like. Because there are days where that feels impossible. There are mm. days where that feels too difficult. But then I'm able to take up those portraits and be like, I overcame on that day, so I can make it through another day. And mm. I think so often we forget that like, there's a kind of resistance to enduring as a trans person. We only think of triumph as like overcoming, 
Right. But sometimes these things we can't overcome. There's just too much hate. So what I also am really trying to teach people with those posts in particular is like, hey, babes, this is never going to stop. Ever. Like, it's going to keep on going and it's gotten worse. And I think that's something that I didn't get is in the beginning of my career, I, I thought that there'd be this magical point where it's like, you overcome it and then it just gets worse. Yes. <laughs> yes. More and more and more and more yes. volume. And so I think also part of what I'm trying to do with those posts is to be like, check in on your trans and gender non-conforming friends because they're experiencing this and you might see them as like brave and resilient and powerful, but why should they have to be? And why do we just dismiss these people as trolls and not actually as people's colleagues, as people's bosses, as people's landlords? Like these are actual everyday living, breathing people who believe these things about us. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm also trying to do with those posts is to indict the world. It's not just about trolls, it's about transphobia. Mm -hmm. And you need to be willing to actually, because we know this every day, but y'all don't know the severity of this. We've been blowing this whistle for years to say, we can't even leave our houses without people making a fuss. Mm. So I think it's also kind of what I'm trying to do with those posts is just say red alert. Both, it's the both and, both we're fabulous, we're glamorous, we're powerful, we're overcoming. And this is a crisis that needs to be addressed. Yes. So for my final question, what I want to ask is that I found that you are an avid reader, as am I, and I love to recommend books and, and what I like to call like Bible verses of my own uh, sort of um, findings, because I love to, you know, create little pieces that create my own sort of scriptures. What books are you reading? Who, who are you inspired by lately uh, through literature? Wow. I love reading so much. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm such a big nerd. Um, so it was James Baldwin's birthday a few days ago. Yes. And earlier this year, I decided to read all of his essays because I had seen so many of his quotes circulating around, but I wanted to actually read where it came from. Mm -hmm. And that collection of essays, which I have it, I think I have it. Oh, it's in a stack of books. So I don't want to pull it up. But that that was just so, I can't even, there's so many, it's like 740 pages of just Baldwin essays. There's so many times I just had to stop and be like, this is changing my life, you know? Yeah. Like there are a few moments when you're reading where you're like reading a sentence actually is changing my Changing life. your life, yes. <laughs> and I just feel like that's the, that's the severity mm. of his work is it just makes you have to. Because one of the things that he argues so well is people create categories to keep themselves safe. So white people created categories of racial others. Straight people created categories of gayness. Cis people created category of transness to keep difference always mm. at a distance and mm. what he's asking is like in order for there to be liberation for black people for gay people there has to be a renegotiation of your own self it's not just about helping other people it's about interrogating the very ways that you've come to know yourself so i think that that, that was amazing and then um i've been reading a lot of lgbt history because i just you know, I can feel, it feels very lonely oftentimes to be the only person who looks like you in public. And, th and this is a situation that I experience a lot is that like, it's the sense of everyone staring at you, but no one seeing you. And so I, I just am like, uh, I need company. And so history becomes my company because I find trans and gender variant people for thousands of years who felt that same fear or that same hesitation. So I mentioned that book earlier that I read yesterday called Arresting Dress. And it's basically about uh, cross-dressing laws in, in San Francisco. And I think that the reason I try to find those books is because I just need 
even like a photo or a name or an autobiography from 1910, if I know that there was someone there, it makes me feel more permissible and livable because mm -hmm. there are days, like I've mentioned, where it just feels like impossible. And, and I, I think history makes me feel possible and it makes me speak back to all these dominant myths that were new because I want to do justice to my legacy. I want to tell people I, I'm here because there were people who, when it was illegal to look like what I'm looking like right now, would go outside and do it anyway. anyway. Yes. You know? And they literally were thrown into prison. And I was reading about people who were thrown into mental health institutions after they were thrown into prison, specifically just for wearing a dress outside. And they did it so that I could be here. And that fills me with so much conviction and hope. And that's why I tell people to read. It's not just to like get information, it's to get hope. Because mm -hmm. when we read, wow, hope, hope. <laughs> when we read, it gives us the potential to realize like how transformable the world is. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I like to ask my guests to do, and you segue that so beautifully, is to tell yourself something that in 10 years, right, that you can come back and listen to this podcast. What is something that you want to remind yourself of 10 years from now when you come back and listen to this and you're just like, what did, what did I say back then? What was I like back then? What do I want to hold on to? So what is something that you want to remind Alok 10 years from now who will listen to this? and might be in a different space mentally, physically, emotionally, and you just want, you, you want to remind yourself of that 10 years from here. Right. You know, this is such a strange time and pandemic, it feels like time is just warped. I'm like, who am I? And so these kind of evidences of this time are going to be so powerful for us going forward because we're going to remember that time when. Yeah. And, and I, I suppose what I want to remember is that despite everything, we found ways to love. Mm. Um, Despite everything, we found ways to connect. Despite everything, we found ways to transform. And I think that relates to what I was saying about history because history is often told by the conquester, the, 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 the people who colonized, the dominant authority, and they control the narrative. And I think it's so important to leave evidence to actually say, no, 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 no. There was a hole in that narrative and that could sink a ship even the smallest hole. And so what we're doing is we're providing evidence, we're providing a counter story, we're providing a counter spell. We're saying we weren't supposed to have these conversations, but we did. Mm -hmm. We're saying we weren't supposed to live the lives that we did, but we did. Mm -hmm. We're saying we weren't supposed to come together, but we did. And I, and I want that to be part of our tradition and, and to recognize that we're, we're making evidence to make futures possible. And there you have it, folks. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alok, for coming in for and stopping me. by and blessing the children with all of your knowledge and all of your gems and all of the, I mean, the, the vast amounts of wisdom that you've been able to pick up over the years. Um, and I just want to let people know where they can find you. So please let everyone know where they can follow you. Um, before I let them, I just want to say thank you for inviting me and thank mm -hmm. you for holding down this space in this podcast. And thank you for all the work that you're doing, the diligent, like, I, I can't, I mean, it's, I feel unfair to speak about myself in this podcast. I, <laughs> I know that there's so much exhaustion in this kind of work. And I just want to say it makes a difference. And I want to say I'm so grateful for your leadership and the leadership of so many Black trans women mm -hmm. who have just Pave the way for me, pave the way for so many of us. And I'm going to keep fighting. 
and tell all my black transistors are free. And I, I'm so grateful for your leadership in this space. Um, if folks want to deal with my um, antics on social media, <laughs> I'm unfortunately on Instagram a little bit too much. I've been trying to peel myself off, like putting the same, same times. Same. Like, I need to be away. Um, you can find me on Instagram at, at A-L-O-K-V-M-E-N-O-N. Yes. All right, everybody.